It's game day, USC football fans. Get up to speed on the Trojans and their opponents with the USCfootball.com Peristyle pregame show. Host Ryan Abraham, Shotgun Spratling, and Keely Ur break down a game from all angles with the in-depth analysis, interviews from the practice field, and expert insights from media members covering the opposition. Let's jump right in and kick things off with uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the uscfootball.com Peristyle pregame show at uscfootball.com. We cover the Trojans 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with reports, analysis, interviews, podcasts, photos, videos, and lots more. Make sure you check out the site for wall-to-wall USC coverage. The Peristyle pregame show is proudly sponsored by Trader Joe's. The college football season is well into November, and it's time to start thinking about Thanksgiving. Stop by Trader Joe's, pick up a package of Dan Weber's favorite corn pudding, grab a bag of your stuffing-flavored potato chips, or check out all the amazing holiday products you can only find at your neighborhood Trader Joe's. All right, let's bring in Keely and Shotgun and give out our awards from the Arizona State game. Starting off with our offensive MVP, we have to give it to the quarterback, Keaton Slovis. What a homecoming for the true freshman. He was 29 of 39 for 432 yards and four touchdowns, but we got to look at the first quarter. He threw for 297 yards and broke USC's record for most passing yards in a first quarter by a quarterback. Get this, no player has thrown for more yards in a quarter in college football in at least the last 15 years. Wow. I mean, he was only on pace for 1,188 yards after the first quarter. Is that good? I think that's good. (laughs) Okay. okay. Might have been a record or something. Who knows? On the defensive side, let's look at Isaiah Polamau. Gets a big interception when Arizona State was trying to drive it and get a early touchdown he had four tackles as well and a homecoming game for him got a kiss from mom after the game as well she was happy for the way he played so we're going to give it to Isaiah Pullman yeah nice game for the Arizona native also for the senior Christian Rector he gets our lineman of the game couple tackles but that huge interception shotgun at the end of the game sealing the win for USC they really need it you could tell Clay Helton on the sideline was worried that Arizona State was going to come down and score and take the lead and win the game. Christian Rector bats it out of the air, makes a diving interception, and he gets our lineman player of the game. For special teams MVP, not a lot of bright spots on USC special no. teams. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm <laughs> going to give it to Chase McGrath, making a 41-yarder. Ended up being the difference maker in the game, and that was a time when USC didn't have their starting quarterback, so he came in and got some points on the board for the team. Yeah, definitely changed things because Arizona State was having to drive for a touchdown instead of a field goal there at the end. Could have been a lot different what they were trying to do. But let's go to our lighting the torch play. The best play of the day was Keaton Slovis' 95-yard touchdown pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. Say it again, 95-yard touchdown pass. That's a lot of yards there. Beautiful throw. He read the safeties, the split safety coverage really well, saw that he had Amon Ross St. Brown had just beat the Tampa 2 defender in the middle of the field and just thread the needle with a perfect pass. When you see three defenders run into each other, that means it was a really good pass, just in case you're wondering. And then Amon Ross St. Brown does the rest, takes it to the house, 95 yards, USC off to a big early first quarter there. Yeah, that might be our lighting the torch of the season play. That was so good. It was, one. it was up there. Our head scratcher, that's one of those plays where you're like, can you really believe that happened? 
Arizona State gets one yard, guys, in the first quarter. One yard, but they scored seven points. You know how they did that? A 97-yard kickoff return. That almost was a touchdown. Chris Steele saved that, so nice play by him. But it was a dominant first quarter for USC, except giving up that 97-yard kickoff return. ASU gets one yard in the quarter, but still scores a touchdown because of that big return. Yeah, USC has to do a better job of having some killer instinct. That's our fixer-upper this week, something they got to do a little bit better job of. You get up 28-7. to Seven, you're dominating. Other than that, those couple of kickoff returns in that first quarter, absolutely in control. And instead, they just slowly let Arizona State back in the game. They couldn't finish off some drives. They got past the the 50 yard line a few times, but couldn't get in the end zone to widen that lead out and, and you know turn it into a blowout. Instead, Arizona State gets back in the game, makes for a dramatic finish. USC fans always get a dramatic finish with this group. Well, looking ahead to USC's matchup against Cal, what are we looking for? What are the three main things? I think one matchup you guys got to look at is USC's defense against this Cal offense that's been kind of spotty. It was a pretty bad four-game stretch, only scoring 41 points in that four-game losing streak. But 33 points last week against Washington State. They scored five offensive touchdowns. That's more than USC scored. And the key could be Christopher Brown Jr., the Cal running back. Cal is 3-0 and when he surpasses 60 yards. So can USC limit the run? We're not sure if it's going to be Chase Garbers or Devin Monster. I think both are really capable quarterbacks, especially the way Monster played last week. But stop the Cal run game, and I think you could slow this Cal offense down. Now, I previewed this a little bit in the awards section, but I'm looking for USC's special teams versus itself. Now, against ASU, the kickoff return coverage was just so poor, and it gave its defense such bad field position. Just a hard spot to be in. And then once you add in the penalties on punts, it was just a bad day all around for USC's special teams, with the exception of Chase McGrath. But you can't expect to win games if you're shooting yourself in the foot in that area of the game. So, But I'm going to see if they can clean that up this week. The most important matchup this week is going to be Cal's secondary versus USC's wide receiver. Strength on strength in this one. How does that secondary try to confuse Keaton Slovis to keep him from getting the ball to Michael Pittman Jr., to Amon Ross St. Brown, to Tyler Vons if he's healthy? He practiced this week on Thursday, so we expect him to be able to go. Getting those guys the ball, Drake London, You know how is Cal going to defend against them? How does USC identify Ashton Davis and keep him from making some some big plays. The former track athlete walk-on, who's now just a dominant player in the back end for them, that's going to be the biggest matchup to watch this week. Those two strength on strength going against each other. Well, your wide receivers are only as good as your quarterback and Keenan Slovis will have a new guy giving him the ball this game, Justin oh. Dietrich. We got to talk to him this week to see how he's adjusting to being the new starting center. Justin, we, we spoke with you after uh, Saturday's game when you had the chance to watch the tape. What jumped out about your performance? Specifically, what did you feel like you did really well, you know, in a tough spot being thrown in there? I mean, yeah, uh, being thrown in there, I felt like I made made some good calls, made some bad calls I can always work on. Uh, but I'm really just grateful for the opportunity to work with the first team, get my toes wet. And now that I'm starting in game, you know, get that comfortability. And now I'm confident 100%. Let's go. Let's do this. So. Yeah, you had mentioned, you know, chemistry. you got to build chemistry. That's what it's all about with the offensive line and working with those ones. How can you foster chemistry in practice in a practice environment going into, you know, a live game? Yeah, I mean, uh, me and Double A were talking about it today. It's just confidence. It's all confidence and make sure the O-line trusts you and trusts your call. And Brett even told me the same thing. Be confident. Don't second-guess yourself. Give them a call. Trust your call and go forward. And, and that's how you build, build it. Be loud. Be clear. 
Yeah, you also mentioned about the calls. Is that something you've been working on in terms of, you know, getting them in a little bit quicker? I know you wanted, you said you wanted to get them in a little bit faster. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just, just gotta, gotta recognize the fronts a little bit, a little bit faster for me. Um, I think it's, it's, it's beneficial to get all these reps with the ones in practice because I'm with them and, and I see the lineup and I just, boom, get the call out. Curious question, as a center and you're watching film of a defense, what are you looking for the most that you're going to be using, you know, when you make a call on uh, Saturdays? Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, tendencies, formations, uh, blitz patterns. You, you want to look at all that stuff and, and recognize, like, hey, the, this guy's in a, a three-tech, two-tech, one-tech, and I might, the, the possibility of them doing this and that. It's just kind of, it's a, it's a chess game, football, so it's just memorization and, and playing the chess pieces right, I guess. <clears throat> and getting into a little more specifics, I know you don't want to give too much away, but what have you seen from Cal in their front when watching them on tape? I mean, yeah, Cal, Cal has a really great defense. Um, they have a good good uh, inside seven, uh, so it's just game preparation, make sure we're a physical team. I know we've talked about this for the last couple of seasons, but you have a great relationship with Brett. How much have you guys been working together? You know, he's obviously on the men, but how much has he been helping you, you know, the last couple of days moving into that, that starting spot for right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, all season, all preseason and all this season, we've been helping each other with technique and, and say something one of us does something wrong, we help each other out. Um, and this, the, the game on, on Saturday, Brett, Brett was really in my ear helping me out, saying, listen, these guys, these guys need you right now. He's like, you're doing a great job. And this week, it's kind of the same thing. Just be confident in your call. So. Any extra snaps with Keaton? You want to get that chemistry right with your quarterback? Anything, anything like that going on? Uh, I think me and Keaton are good. We worked a lot, a lot post or preseason and, uh, and summer and all that. So it's, it's, he's, not, he's not unfamiliar to me. Uh, so it's, it's a good thing that we got all those snaps in fall camp. And this one's just a little bit of a fun one. You have some of the best facial hair on the team. You got a full beard rocking right now. You had a mustache in spring. Any tips for people who can't grow facial hair? What do you got to do to get your stash game up? Yeah, uh, you just eat a lot of protein, uh, get a lot of sleep, and just pray that you got good genetics. Thanks to our Chris Trevino for doing that interview with Justin Dita. He does have some glorious facial hair. Chris, I know, has struggles growing some of his own. Uh, I, I'm fine wow, with it. I'd rather. Shade. Sorry. Well, that's why Chris asked the question. But, you know, I don't know. Can that facial hair sort of bring him to the next level? USC is going to need him to play well against this really tough uh, Cal defensive front. Yeah, definitely. You know, we've seen in the past when USC had to insert a center, how things can change. If you remember when USC went to Stanford without Khaled Holmes, you know, having to throw in Cyrus Hobby. Cyrus Hobby. Unfortunately, it just did not go well for USC in that game. And, you know, it, it can be a challenge your first game starting as a center. However, Dietrich was the number one center coming out of high school. So he's a guy that they have a lot of expectations for that they think has a lot of potential. So look for him to step in. And the biggest thing won't just be the blocking, it'll be the making the calls up front. Justin Wilcox will try to confuse him as much as he can. I'm sure there'll be some moving pieces throughout the night. How does USC identify them up front? And can he get a little help, Justin Dietrich, from the guys around him? You know, can those guys that have been on the line all season long, can they help him out with identifying some of the, the looks that Cal will give? That'll be really key for USC's offense. And expect to see something different than what you saw when Justin Dietrich was thrown in against ASU. He was saying this week that a week of practice, having that chemistry with those other starters will go a long way as far as cadence and chemistry and whatnot. I think that's certainly going to help. It can just disrupt the offense as a whole. We've seen it in years past, even with uh, Toa Lobendon last year when the snaps weren't always exactly there. You can disrupt the offense if the center to quarterback exchange 
isn't pristine. I think it's been really good so far this year with Brett Nealon and all the quarterbacks that USC's had in there. He's had a host of quarterbacks behind him. Now you got Justin Dietrich. You have to hope if you're a USC fan, that week of practice is going to really help him get on the same page with Keaton Slovis because you cannot afford for things to go awry against a really tough Cal defense, especially that secondary. They're just jonesing to get some interceptions. USC has a propensity to throw a few of those. If the snap and the center exchange isn't great, maybe that throws the timing off and you see some interceptions. So that's going to be a real key matchup to watch in this game, just how USC's Justin Dietrich performs. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our player perspective segment where Keela Yor breaks things down with former USC All-American safety, Taylor Mays. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the USCfootball.com Peristyle pregame show. In this segment, we will look at the game from a player's perspective with host Keelier and former USC All-American safety Taylor Mays. We're back with another segment of Player's Perspective. Taylor, thanks so much for coming back on. Keely, what's going on? Before we get into it, I just want to give a special thanks to Platinum Storage and the store local companies for sponsoring the USCfootball.com Peristyle pregame show. Platinum Storage is one of the nation's leading privately held commercial real estate companies specializing in self-storage. Established in 1999, Platinum Storage owns, manages, and develops self-storage facilities in Southern California and throughout the United States. For more information, email inquiries at PlatinumStorage.com or call 949-770-2232. Now, Taylor, we always talk about the need for USC to put together a four full quarters of a football game. Yeah. In the last two weeks, they put together an almost perfect first quarter, but just can't seem to do that for 60 minutes. Why can't they put it together? Yeah, it's very frustrating because we see the initial potential of our team. We come out and play really well in the first half, especially in the first quarter. We play with a ton of enthusiasm. Guys on offense and defense are both running around like with their hair on fire. And then for some reason in the second quarter, especially in the second half, we fall flat. I think there's a couple reasons for this to happen. But one of the main reasons that I see is we're really shooting ourselves in the foot with the penalties. If you look at the stats, we're ranked 122nd in college football in penalty yards per game. That is a terrible stat. That's not a stat to be proud of. And to me, that stat signifies kind of a lack of discipline. And it's hard to execute and have sustainability for four quarters when you're having a ton of penalties. And the frustrating part about some of the penalties is some of them seem ticky-tack. They see, Especially the targeting calls seem like they shouldn't be penalties. But the Pac-12 refs have been pretty consistent about calling some of these targeting calls. And the thing that we have to do, especially our defensive players, are they have to fix it. They have to adjust to what's going on and to the types of penalties that the refs are calling. Kind of like a strike zone. Exactly. And we don't really seem to be doing that yet. And it's really hurting us. And we're getting some penalties at the most inopportune times, especially in this most recent game against Arizona State. And we got a roughing the passer call with Jay Tufele, which negated a Talano Hufunga interception, which would have been a huge play for our team. A team that wins games cannot shoot itself in the foot, especially with this amount of penalties. And the second thing that's really affecting our team 
especially in the second half, is the adjustments. Our opponents seem to come out and make adjustments against our offense, against our defense. And we don't seem to evolve in the second quarter, third, and especially within the fourth quarter. And we don't seem to evolve in the second, third, and especially fourth quarter to what our opponents are doing. And I think that's one of the biggest questions that people had coming out of the ASU game. Yeah. How can USC's offense score 28 points in the first quarter and then only three in the next 45 minutes? Yeah, I think what's happening is we're coming out really fast on offense. And what happens is, is offense coordinators will have scripted plays, which is 10 to 15 pre-planned plays, uh, to call in a game and defensive coordinators I think against us are seeing the types of plays that we're running and how committed we are to the run game especially with the injuries that we have at running back and what they're doing is is really forcing us to run they end up dropping another guy in coverage and this goes to what we talked about earlier defensive adjustments and offensive adjustments and defenses are adjusting and just dropping eight guys into coverage only rushing three guys and forcing Keaton to throw the ball into tight holes and we're really struggling against it especially right now when we can't run the football to try to bring another player into the box and a functioning run game can only help Keaton Slovis in this game when you're going up against a a tough secondary so they have to kind of respect you in that sense but I know that everyone's looking forward to this matchup USC's wide receivers versus Cal's secondary yeah I've been looking forward to it since the beginning of this year I mean this Cal secondary is very highly touted they've only given up nine passing touchdowns they give up very few explosive plays I mean these guys play really really well together they're experienced they communicate along with Evan Weaver at the inside linebacker this is a great secondary and really a good back end of a defense and one thing that they do that Keaton has really struggled with the entire season is they move around their safeties move around they disguise and they move at the same time sometimes what happens when a quarterback is reading a defense is one player moves and it gives away maybe the blitz or where the safeties are rolling to. This Cal defense does it at the same time, and that puts more pressure on Keaton in his progression and being able to find the open receiver. We all know that our wide receivers are some of the best wide receivers in college football, but in this game against Cal, our wide receivers are only going to be as good as Keaton is. Keaton has to be able to get them the ball and get them the ball with accurate throws because if he doesn't, this secondary is going to make him pay for it. The same windows that he got away with against Arizona State are not the type of windows, passing lanes that he's going to be able to get away with against this Cal Berkeley team because this secondary especially is faster, they're better, and any small errors that a quarterback makes, they expose you and they make you pay. So Keaton's going to have to be on his game. And I think if we can get a solid run presence in this game, like we've talked about, I really think that'll open it up for Keaton being able to find these receivers downfield. And one guy I'm really looking forward to seeing is Drake London and him being matched up against their linebackers, because that'll be a matchup I think we can expose. They have great linebackers, but Drake is faster and he's more athletic than the guys that they have at linebacker. And I think we can really utilize him there. Now, as far as Cal's quarterback situation, we don't know who the starter is going to be, but Clancy Pendergast said that they're preparing for a system rather than a specific quarterback. So that would suggest that it doesn't necessarily matter who's under center, right? Yeah, I think both Chase Garbers and Devin Moster are pretty similar as quarterbacks. It's not like you're playing a pocket passer versus a very mobile quarterback. Chase Garbers is coming off of an injury. I don't think he's physically ready to play. Devin Monster, however, is really coming off of his best game of the season against Washington State, which we don't really know 
what that means at this point because Washington State's defense has struggled this entire season. But this Cal offense as a whole really only averages 19 points a game. They don't really have any superstars on offense. No receivers have over 300 yards. They have several guys with 16 to 18 catches. But if you look at the offense as a whole, they have a bunch of players that are good. They play well together, but nobody that's just really a bona fide wide receiver running back threat. So in theory, this should be a low-scoring affair for USC's defense. Yeah, it should be. This should be our chance to really play a complete game as a defense. I hope that we don't play down to the level of our opponent. We've done it a couple times this season, and the games that we should really dominate on defense like this one, we have to do it. If you look at our defense as a whole, we've given up 27 points a game on the season. Our best outing was 14 points against Arizona. Yeah, they scored a couple of the touchdowns late in the game, but it still counts in the statistics. We have no shutouts. We have no games where they've just scored a touchdown or a field goal. And to me, this is the game that we should be able to do it, especially against a backup quarterback, an offense that doesn't have really any star players. This would be the chance for the defense. But there's just things that we have to do as a defense to be able to shut them out, hold them to a field goal, hold them to a touchdown like you would like to see a Trojan defense do. One of the things that we have to do, and this is as a secondary, so this is a personal thing to me is our corners especially have to have better situational awareness. We saw it last week against Arizona State. Our guys got beat on two plays across their face, two plays that resulted in touchdowns. As a defensive back and especially as a corner, you have to play to your leverage. Both plays, the corners didn't have inside help, meaning they didn't have a safety in the middle of the field, a safety that in normal cover three coverage they funnel the receiver to the safety that's where their help is when you don't have that safety you have to stay inside the receiver and force the ball to be thrown to the outside because the outside throw is a longer throw it's a harder throw to make and you have more time to drive those routes our corners were letting the receiver cross their face and when that happens you have no help on the inside it's an easy throw for any quarterback in college football and that was two touchdowns in that game last week that we gave up just because of mental errors and bad situational awareness. This was also the second week in a row where USC special teams halts its own momentum as a team. You talked about special teams a lot on this show. It's near and dear to your heart. But why is that? Look, it's... I compare it to Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel. He painted a bunch of spots that he thought people were never going to see, but he did it because that's who he was as an artist. To me... Every great football team is just awesome on special teams. And special teams is one of those things that a lot of players do when they're very young. And it's how they get credit on the team, get respect on the team from the coaches, from the other players, by going out there and making plays on special teams. I've seen guys in college football who are All-Americans play on special teams. I've seen guys who are Hall of Famers play on special teams. It's just something that sets the tone. It's the attention to detail. It's one play. You do it right, and you get off the field. And the problem with our team is our guys will go out there on punt, we'll have a penalty, one play, just just a penalty. And to me, that's not acceptable. That's attention to detail, and I think it shows up as a whole for our team why we're 6-4. and four. If you look at our kickoff team, kickoff team is supposed to be a bunch of guys running downfield with their hair on fire and just trying to smack everything moving it sets the tempo for the defense going onto the field and it's the identity of a team and our kickoff team is second worst in 
college football giving up 29 yards per return. That's not acceptable, and to me, that speaks volumes about some of the problems that we have as a team because we're not taking special teams seriously. And I think special teams are the roots of what creates a good team. It's how you get your work ethic. It's how you get uh, your attitude. And it's just something that never leaves you. And obviously, I played special teams forever. You always you play special teams just as hard as you play defense. And when you have that attitude, I think it just makes you a better football player overall. And that's what really bothers me when I see our team struggling on special teams, because to me, it's just a lack of attention to detail and effort. And I think that's why we've been struggling as a whole in this season. All righty, it's your favorite part of the show. Predictions. 8-2 and two record, Mr. Mays. How do you think this one's going to go on Saturday? I would like to see this USC football team put a nail in the coffin. We saw it last week against Arizona State. We got up. We kind of let them come back into the game. And then towards the end, we had a couple of chances to close that football game out. And we didn't quite do it on offense. I'd like to see our team get up. I know we're going to play well. We're going to match up really well with them. Our wide receivers will do their thing. Keaton might struggle, but we'll, this will be a very close game. But the end of the game, I want to see that killer instinct from this team. I want to see our guys close it off. I can't bet against this USC team, so I think we'll win 28-24. to 24. I keep wanting to say 28 because I want us to score 28 points. So I've said that the last couple of weeks, so I'm, I'm hoping we get 28 I think it'll be 28-24. Okay, we'll see if your record holds up. But Taylor, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Keely. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go behind enemy lines, get the full scoop on the Cal Bears. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the USCFootball.com Parastyle pregame show. In this segment, host Ryan Abraham will go behind enemy lines and get insight on the game from USC's opponent's point of view. Before we get to our guest, I'd like to thank Trader Joe's for their sponsorship of the uscfootball.com Parastyle pregame show. The next time you visit the USC campus, check out the Trader Joe's at the USC Village where you'll find food and drink from the everyday to the oddly interesting, all at amazing prices. You can't miss the store. It's in the red brick building. All right, let's bring in Jackson Moore. He's the publisher of BearTerritory.net. He covers California football, basketball, recruiting all here on the 24-7 Sports Network. How you doing, Jackson? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Doing all right. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show. We wanted to preview, of course, this USC-Cal game. Four-game losing streak for the Golden Bears. But, man, after that bye week, looked like a different team to me, uh, Jackson. What do you think the big biggest difference was in that big win over Washington State? Yeah, I think a big part of it was just being healthy. I mean, they just had a bye week uh, three weeks before that. And when they came out, they thought you know it was right in the middle of that four-game skid. They thought the bye week was going to help everything. Instead, they come out and lose to Oregon State by four points. That was probably the home game. They probably expected one of the few at the beginning of the year they could absolutely circle as a win. And it went the other way. And then things went from bad to worse the following week. 
uh, losing 35-0 at Utah. Didn't even get 100 yards of offense. It was terrible. Uh, but they were down to their third-string quarterback, Spencer Brash. And uh, fortunately for Cal, they got a little bit healthier. They got some of their offensive line back and ready to go in that last bye week. They got backup quarterback Devin Monster back. And you know, they just overall, they looked much more competent on offense. It didn't take a, a whole lot of pieces, but they were very critical pieces. And that helped them look like a very different team last weekend. Yeah, it did look like a different team. Even when you saw Monster play before, it just wasn't that effective. 41 points in that four-game losing streak total, which is crazy, <laughs> then 33 against Washington State. For Monster, at least, what was the difference for him? Yeah, you know, he showed signs against Oregon State. It was a different kind of style of the game just because you know, they weren't like Washington State who threw it almost 60 times. I think the flow of that game kind of just played the way that it did. This one was a little more open, a little sloppier, and the biggest thing I think for Cal was their offense did just enough to keep their defense spirited. I mean, this is a really good Cal defense, but against Utah, when the offense was doing nothing for them, uh, you could tell the team it seemed like they kind of packed it in against Utah. That's the only game they played all year that hasn't been uh, remotely close, whether it be a win or loss. And so this game against Washington State, you know, Monster really took over. He was able to. I mean, against Oregon State, he had decent numbers. He had to basically carry the running game by himself. He didn't get much help in the run. And I think that's where the O-line kind of kicked into things here, getting center Mike Safel back, uh, kind of opened the way for Chris Brown to run for almost 100 yards against Washington State. So just overall, I think it's kind of a domino effect from having just a few guys back, really. I made some jokes uh, that Chase Garber should be the MVP of the league because with him, they're 4-0. Without him, it was just a mess. He was now medically cleared for this game, but it's good. it sounds like there's going to be like a competition this week. We might not know until game time. Yeah, and that's you know, I'm not exactly sure what they're doing there. I know if Garbers is 100%, he's the team's guy. Um, I mean, especially the way that he closed out his play before he got hurt. Big game at Ole Miss, uh, 357 yards, believe you, through four touchdowns. I mean, he was great. That's as good as we've ever seen him against Ole Miss. And then against Arizona State as well, the following week, uh, the first half that he played was pretty solid football. Uh, had he played the whole game, I think. The Bears would have come out of there with a win and said they fell by seven without him. You know, even though Monster comes off a pretty good game, I think it's a matter of Garbers is cleared, but is he the same Garbers he was before the injury? And I think that's what's going to determine who starts this one. Uh, I think Monster did enough this past weekend to get some confidence from the team. And if Garbers just isn't the same guy that he was before, they can just go with Monster and keep it rolling. The uh, quarterback play gets a lot of talk, but also you want to talk about the running backs, uh, Christopher Brown Jr., He's kind of emerged as the lead back. What are his strengths? It seems like he's playing better now, too. Yeah, he's the guy that they can just kind of feed the rock and run between the tackles as many times as they need to. He's your, you know, you're kind of your workhorse, power, more of a balance, I guess, of a runner, getting four yards a carry for the season, even though they've had some rough games running the ball with all the O-line injuries they've suffered. Looks like they're healthy enough now to get him going again. Much better against Washington State, who, albeit it's not the best against the run. Aside from Brown, though, they do have Marcel Dancy, who's a change of pace back. He's going to touch the ball about a third of the time that Brown does, but is pretty effective as well in his own right. Cal's on the season, one of the worst teams in the country at protecting the quarterback. Uh, you know, maybe talk about some of the offensive line injuries like you mentioned, but also they give up a lot of tackles for loss. Do you think the Garbers injury kind of played into that, or is it really a combination of things with the injuries on the offensive line too? Yeah, I think it's mostly on the offensive line because um, you know, Garbers was doing a really good job, partially of that. He was doing a really good job moving with his legs when the offensive line was breaking down during those first few games. I think he made some plays that would have been tackles behind the line of scrimmage for positive yards instead. But it's been a really rough go. In fact, 
I think the the only confident thing Cal really had going on offense into the season was uh, the fact that they had a pretty experienced offensive line. Uh, basically wide receiver, tight end, running back, all new guys this year, relatively. And then with Chase Garbers as well, he wasn't exactly proven coming into the season. You know, Within the first couple of games, even before the season, they lost several guys. Uh, Will Craig, who was supposed to be their starting left tackle, out. Gentle Williams, offensive lineman on the interior, out for the year. I mean, those hit pretty quick. And then it seemed like the remaining starters that they had have been in and out of the lineup all season long. So it's been a really rough go. They've seen at times they've had just enough guys to keep the offense competent and at other times uh, not nearly enough talent to even move the ball remotely. But it seems like they're out of place right now as long as they don't suffer any hiccups against USC that they've got enough to work with at the moment. The On the defensive side of the ball, Tim DeRuiter, someone we're both familiar with. If you guys don't know, Jackson <laughs> and I both covered Fresno State for a while. Uh, Jackson still does, doing a great job there at the, the bark board. But former head coach Tim DeRuiter had this off this defense really rolling. Maybe, I don't know, what, how would you say overall this defense has played this year? Because the expectations for the defense were sky high for 2019. Yeah, you know, I think this defense is still pretty solid, but maybe below expectations. They've had some games that they didn't anticipate going into the season of course 35 points against utah i mean the top 10 utah but still they've got a lot better expectations for themselves um you know a little bit new to covering cal but i was really surprised they lost that game to arizona state 24 17 and you know justin wilcox was livid evan weaver the star linebacker livid they were so disappointed and disgusted with the way they played defense and for a lot of teams out there, 24 points allowed is still a pretty solid night. So it kind of shows that what they expect from that group. The takers, the defensive backfield, as they're known, um, they were came into the, the season with some you know, national recognition. Some called them the best in the nation. Some called them the best secondary in the West. They've Even though they've just about every week, it seems like they haven't caught a break with a star quarterback on the other side of the ball. They've relatively done a good job, but statistically, they're not as well as you would think they were hyped up to be at the beginning of the year. I think the real downfall in this D-line is the, at the, or on the defense is the D-line. Uh, it's only a 3-4 defense, but they've suffered some injuries there. They've had players that they anticipated that never even participated, participated in fall camp. So it kind of starts up front, and that's been probably the one deficient part of the defense. Uh, they've had some outside linebackers, which sometimes play as de facto edge rushers in this 3-4 defense as well. They've been in and out, so the injury bugs caught the defense a little bit as well. The middle linebackers, the defensive secondary, uh, it's as good as Cal's is likely to see for some time. Yeah, Evan Weaver, you mentioned, if you get the Pac-12 network, make sure you watch all the interviews with him. Just a fiery guy. <laughs> seems like a coach. Averaging over 15 tackles a game. He leads the Pac-12. He leads the nation. What makes him such a special player? Yeah, I mean, he's really awesome to cover. Uh, probably one of the best linebackers I've seen <laughs> that I can remember covering. Uh, he just looks like this old school, big, bulky, hard-hitting linebacker, but he moves like a a speed, almost like a defensive back at times. He covers a lot of ground. You know, um, earlier in the season, the, they went through four games that were fairly close with their 4-0 start. Against North Texas, he makes a pass breakup that wins the game. He knocks out the receiver. The following week against Ole Miss, he makes a goal line stop. He hits the quarterback right before the goal line. So I think though those two moments kind of show uh, the variety of play that he can bring and the types of plays that he can make in big time situations. And you know, overall, just a hard hitter because he's got good pursuit to the ball. And it's just, I mean, he rarely ever misses on a play. It's pretty spectacular to watch. You mentioned the Cal secondary. Supposed to be elite coming into the season. Only four picks after 21 interceptions last year. And if I'm not mistaken, six starters returned. Their six guys came back <laughs> in the secondary. 
What do you think the biggest issue there? Because it still seems like the players are good. Yeah, you know, um, the interception is probably the thing that surprises me the most. They haven't had many, obviously, and that was something they've really prided themselves on up to this point. I mean, it's a lot of the same guys, as you mentioned. Um, at the same time, uh, as I was talking earlier, it's been seems like it's been a phenomenal quarterback every week that they've played. Even games against UC Davis and North Texas, you're talking about Jake Mayer, the FCS All-American quarterback for Davis and um, North Texas, as well as Mason Fine, who they were trying to get a Heisman campaign going for at the beginning of the year. I mean, some of their most favorable matchups, you're talking about Jaden Daniels at Arizona State, a four-star freshman. Ole Miss had a couple four-star freshmen as well. It just seems like every week they're going up against, you know, they, they don't ever have a very favorable matchup where they can just take advantage and, and take care of a, a weak quarterback. It's been top of the notch, it seems, every week. And uh, as the Pac-12 knows, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in it this season. You talked about some of the, the issues as far as injuries go on the defensive line. How do you think the pass rush has been and, and stopping the run so far this year uh, for the Golden Bears? Yeah, you know, it just seems like it's been decent. Um, uh, there's some of the games where, like Arizona State, give up 24 in a loss. Oregon State give up 21 in a loss. They felt like a lot of that was lost in the, the trenches and the box there, just failure to finish tackles to get the right pressure that they needed you know but they when they are rolling it does let the the back seven or back eight at times even uh, do what they want to do um, they've got alongside weaver they've got a six foot six four-star junior college transfer Kwani dang uh, he's really messed very well with this defense and made things even easier for weaver uh, but again starts with the d-line and seems like that's the one spot where they don't quite have the next level talent that they have elsewhere and last thing, how do you think this game's going to go up in Berkeley? Cal's hopeful, at least. <laughs> it wasn't the same kind of feeling that they had after uh, the first last four losses. It seemed like the season was just about down the toilet. <laughs> it was uh, about as ugly as it has, had been for quite some time. But all of a sudden, against Washington State, they look kind of like the, the same team that they were the first four games. Especially if Garbers can, can get healthy and play and be as effective as he was towards the beginning of the year. I think Cal may have a real shot. You know, it's still, you don't quite know what this Golden Bear team, USC is going to be a lot tougher than Washington State was. Uh, I think if they won, it would be a bit of a surprise, especially considering the line. But um, it is going to be senior day. It's going to be uh, the Joe Roth day. They're going to break out the old school uniforms and should be one of the better environments they have at Berkeley this season. So there's a few things going their way. Um, it's just quite hard to tell if last week was maybe a fluke or if they're really for real again. All right, Jackson does a great job covering the California Golden Bears for BearTerritory.net. Make sure you check out his stuff. Thanks, Jackson. Thank you for having me, Ryan. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back here for our final segment on the Peristyle pregame show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the uscfootball.com Parastyle pregame show. Here's your host, Ryan Abraham. We're going to finish up the show with Chris Trevino's five bold predictions for the California game. Hear from USC defensive tackle Brandon Peely. And finally, Keely Shotgun and I will give our game predictions. 
Thanks to Platinum Storage and the store local companies for sponsoring the uscfootball.com Peristyle pregame show. Platinum Storage is one of the nation's leading privately held commercial real estate companies specializing in self-storage. Established in 1999, Platinum Storage owns, manages, and develops self-storage facilities in Southern California and throughout the United States. For more information, email inquiries at platinumstorage.com or call 949-770-2232. All right, let's get right into Chris Trevino's bold predictions for USC and Cal. This is Chris Trevino with uscfootball.com, and these are my five predictions for USC versus Cal. Prediction number one, USC records at least four sacks. One of the most glaring weaknesses of Cal's offense is its pass protection. Cal is ranked dead last in the Pac-12 at number 124 in the country in sacks allowed at 35. Now, USC has shown it can get pressure this season, but it's been finishing off plays in the backfield that have been the issue. Still, the odds look good against an offensive line that is allowing 3.89 sacks per game and an eye-popping 6.2 sacks at home against Division I defenses. Prediction number two. Talano Hufunga is involved in another turnover play. Now, I've picked a turnover play for Hufunga before, and it didn't exactly work out for me. But in his return from a shoulder injury, Hufunga not only forced a big fumble, but also picked off a pass. Now, that picked off pass was wiped off the board due to a controversial roughing the passer call, but I still think another week back in the flow of things can lead to some more turnover opportunities. Cal's offense also has seven turnovers in its last six games. Prediction number three, Michael Pittman finishes with at least 100 receiving yards. Now, Big Pittman can be hot or cold week to week, and he was certainly hot last week with 13 receptions for 146 yards. The cold isn't necessarily his fault, as defenses have been trying to take him out of the game with bracket coverage and such, yet Pittman Jr. is only 62 yards away from his first career 1,000-yard season, so I like the extra motivation for a big night. Now, he's only been held under 60 yards three times this year, but he's yet to post back-to-back 100-yard games this season, and he's only averaged 50.5 receiving yards in those games after a 100-yard game. On the flip side, Cal has only allowed three receivers over 100 yards, two in that Washington State win. Still, I like Pittman to come up with that 100-yard mark. Prediction number four, three receptions, 50-plus receiving yards for Keenan Kristen. Kristen declared himself a legit receiving threat out of the backfield with four receptions for 85 yards and two touchdowns against ASU. This Saturday is a very favorable matchup for the emerging receiver. The last three opposing running backs to face the Cal defense averaged five catches for 53 yards. Needless to say, I really like this matchup for number 23. And finally, prediction number five. No more than one passing touchdown allowed for USC's defense. I run the risk of jinxing USC here, especially a slumping secondary that has allowed 11 passing touchdowns in its last three games. Compare that to just eight passing touchdowns in the first seven games. But I think this weekend is a perfect storm for a bounce-back performance for the secondary. Why? Well, the Bears' pass attack has just eclipsed 250 passing yards once this season and thrown for more than one touchdown only three times. I know Chase Garbage is clear to play this week and could start and push that passing attack up a notch, but Garbage only had one multi-touchdown passing game in his first four starts this year. Some bold predictions there from Chris. I've got to go with the fifth one. Looking at no more than one passing touchdown allowed for USC's defense. I think the secondary bounces back this week. Hey, they've been a young group, but they're getting a little bit more healthy each week. Uh, you know, you have Chase Williams is going to be able to move from position to position because Greg Johnson is going to be back this week. So having him back just adds an extra body, gives them an extra option. Dorian Hewitt is stepping up his game. You know, I think that there's going to be more options if someone's not playing great in a game. So I think the USC defense steps up and they don't give up more than one passing touchdown. 
I actually agree with Chris's fourth bold prediction, three receptions and 50-plus receiving yards for Keenan Christen. I think he's shown that he can be a reliable receiving threat, but the big question is how much time will he actually get in the backfield now that you might have Avai Malapea and Stephen Carr come back, but I think he's shown that he can be that guy. He certainly can. It'll be interesting to see how much playing time he gets in there. We'll talk about injuries in a minute. I'm going to agree with his number one pick. Now, it's a little questionable, about four sacks for this USC defense. The Cal offense has been banged up pretty much, but they get a lot of those guys back. I think they're playing better as of late. But the Brandon Peelys of the world, the J. Tufeles, the Drake Jacksons, I think they're going to get after whoever the quarterback is for Cal and force some of those negative plays that Clancy Pendergast and that defensive unit loves to get. So I do feel USC is going to get those four sacks. And speaking of Brandon Peely, I got to talk to him at practice. If you guys know, he started the Arizona State game Probably be in a rotation with Marlon Tui Pelotu this week, but he's been doing a really good job. He had a sack against the Sun Devils. We wanted to talk to him about what he expects to see from this Cal offense. Brandon, you got the start last week. How'd it feel to, to get out there on the field with your teammates? Uh, it felt great, you know, um, being able to be out there with my brothers and uh, contribute to my team any way I can. It felt great. You knew you were going to start. What did uh, Chad K do at practice to kind of get you ready? Uh, I, I took all the one reps with the... Uh, with, with the one defense and um, shoot, I've, I've been prepping, you know, this whole year like I was a starter, so it, it, it didn't change much for me. The uh, rotation up front with you guys, you know, everyone kind of getting to play. How do you feel that's worked so far this year for you guys? Uh, I think it's worked very uh, pretty well for us. We've had a consistent, what do you call it, rotation with me, Marlon, and Jay. And uh, later in the game, getting our, you know, younger guys in there when we're, when we're more gassed. But I think I feel like uh, I feel like uh, the playing time this year is, is pretty even. So California, kind of not that great offensively for about four weeks in a row, but then came out and had an explosion last week. What have you seen on film from these guys, especially that offensive line? Uh, you know they got a big, experienced offensive line. Uh, I think they have two freshmen at guard, so you know we're gonna try to get after them a little bit, but. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they have some good playmakers. They got a big running back. It's going to be hard to take down. They got a good quarterback that can, you know, scramble and make the throw. So we're going to have to contain him as well. When you see one week a team look maybe at playing at a high level and the next week maybe not, you know, at a lower level, how do you kind of prepare for something like that? Uh, you know, we watch both films. Uh, we, we, we see the good they can do and, you know, some maybe some of their weaknesses. And we, we focus more on their weaknesses because, you know, if, if – uh, if you consistently have, a, I guess, a, a, a weak point in your game, then, then that's more easy to focus on when you, uh, when, you, when you study another team. You mentioned the quarterback. Devin Monster looked really good last week against Washington State. Chase Garbers, though, is cleared. A little different quarterbacks. Do you kind of have to prepare for both, or how do you get ready for those guys in practice? Um, you know, both of those guys are, are, are uh, really talented, in my opinion. Uh, they 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 kind of resemble each other in the way that they play. You know, they're both they can both you know hurt you with their legs and and, and with their arm as well. So we're gonna have to practice keeping contained and and also you know pinning our ears back to get get to them. Christian Brown's emerged as their uh, number one tailback. What have you seen uh, from him? Uh, you know, I've seen some really strong runs. I've seen him. Uh, he's also explosive in space. So you know, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to stay in our run fits. You know, and just and and gap it out and 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 not let let him out. Last thing for you. Two games left in the regular season. You guys are both eligible. What's the morale of the team been like? Uh, you know, we we we've been uh, we've been hopeful. You know, uh, despite our our four losses that you know maybe we should, some of the games we shouldn't have lost. Uh, 
you know, we're still optimistic and, you know, uh, we're just fighting for our brothers, fighting for our seniors to make sure they finish as, as best they can. Yeah, Brendan Peely had a great game last week. He forced a fumble, had a, a couple tackles, I believe. You know, he was in almost the entire game. When USC had their defense tackles out there, he was a guy that was in the game. Backup Dejon Benton, because of the injury to Marlon Tuipolotu, he was the third guy in that rotation. He got three snaps. That means Jay Tufele and Brandon Peely were out there almost the entire game for USC when they wanted to have those defensive tackles in. Now, they did some different things when they went to their pass rush unit and brought those guys out, but they were in there a ton. He played a career high. Brandon Peely did a number of snaps in the game. So we'll see if he gets to start this week with Marlon Tuipolotu or if Marlon is back, how much Brandon is still rotated in. Well, as far as injuries go, Clay Helton did say that Marlon looked good in Thursday's practice. So he's been dealing with a back issue. Seems like he might be on the mend as far as that goes. As far as other injuries, Vivai Malapai and Stephen Carr did practice this week. So those two running backs are game time decisions as well as Tyler Vaughn's. He did get some practice. Clay Helton said he practiced on Thursday. So he's a game time decision as well. Someone that does seem doubtful is Palie, not Ote Ote. He hasn't practiced this week. Didn't play against ASU. So it seems like he's still dealing with the ankle knee issue someone who is returning like shotgun said greg johnson will be back so helping out that secondary and adding more depth to that unit yeah i like the secondary seems like they're pretty whole as a as a unit the running back situation is going to be in flux we saw keen Kristen get 20 carries last week i don't think they want him to have that kind of load so they're going to need a stephen carr of a vi malapai i'm looking at tyler vaughn's guys he's my guy I think they need him with that big three rotation of wide receivers. I know Drake London's doing a great job, but without Tyler Vaughn's making some of those spectacular catches, I think it could hurt this offense tremendously. Without spectacular catches, Drake London, what about the catch he made against Arizona State? That was incredible, and it set up the field goal that changed things for USC. Yeah, he did get mossed on that one. Yeah, he made the ESPN segment on Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, whatever it is they have. Randy Moss pointed him out, said he went up over the defender and dominated him there. Very nice. Well, guys, it's that time of the segment predictions. How do you think it's going to go? Ooh, I think USC is going to win a close one. I think points are going to be at a premium, both teams in the 20s. I'm going to take the Trojans winning close one, 24-23. I'm going to go with a giant blowout, 70-3. to No, no, can't <laughs> quite go there. Not with this Cal defense. I think it's going to be close. I think the spread's around six points. USC is definitely not going to cover on the road and late night games. So I'm going to make it close with 20 to 18. And I think USC actually gets this win. Interesting. I'm going to go 21 17, a close game, but USC is going to get the win. All right. Everyone's predicting a USC win. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Thanks for hanging with us early on USC Game Day for California Week. Thanks to our sponsors, Trader Joe's and Platinum Storage, plus our contributors, Keely Yor, Shotgun Spratling, Chris Trevino. Jackson Moore, and of course, Taylor Mays. Make sure you check back on KABC Radio Fridays at midnight for the Peristyle pregame show. Enjoy the game, and we will talk to you next time. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.